following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, March 22nd, at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. All right, family, go ahead and get your Bibles. Open them up to the book of Psalms, Psalm 121. I will get there myself, and while you're getting there, let me ask you this. Take a moment of honesty and think back and see if you don't agree with me that from the time that we are born, most of our greatest fears come from the things that we can't see. If it wasn't the monster hiding under the bed or the monster hiding in the closet, it's now the virus that's hiding on the doorknobs. The unknown has always been a fertile ground for the enemy to play games with our imaginations and to inflame in our hearts a sense of vulnerability, a a sense of insecurity, a sense of fragility. And no one has ever liked feeling vulnerable. No one's ever liked feeling insecure. No one ever likes feeling fragile. Well, this morning, as we open up God's word to Psalm 121, we're going to be taken back to a very real time when God's people knew very personally the the flames of fear and worry that were growing in their heart, the sense of insecurity and vulnerability that would press in on them. Three times a year, God had instructed his people to go from their homes, wherever they were in the land, and make the trip up to Jerusalem, where he had appointed feasts and celebrations for them. And The trip to Jerusalem from wherever they were in the land, it wasn't an easy trip and it wasn't a safe trip. There were dangers around every corner. There were dangers that the people would face and the people would imagine and the people would fear as they made their way up to the place where God had called them. In fact, Jesus himself would have made this same trip with his family when he was a boy and his disciples as he grew into a man. He would take that 90-mile trip from there and back along these same roads. And he would take the road that was uncertain, that was full of danger, threats that he could see and threats that he couldn't see. But even though God's people knew that this was a journey they had to take, it it didn't stop the flames of worry from heating up the thoughts in their heart, leaving them to wonder whether or not they or someone else might not make it all the way. On the road to the place where God had called them, It wasn't unusual for God's people to lay their heads down at night and feel vulnerable, feel fragile, and feel insecure. The same ways many of us go to bed feeling today. We may not be walking that that same dirt road that the disciples walked to Jerusalem, but the road that God calls us to walk on on this side of heaven is no less dangerous. And our life can feel uncertain And just think how quickly and how much our life has changed in just a week. The unknown and the unseen, they they threaten to rob our joy. Around every corner, temptations to sin hide. Crisis and danger seem to be able to spring out unannounced. And you and I can find ourselves feeling very vulnerable, very insecure, very fragile, in need of being kept safe. It's the same way the Israelites would feel on their journey as they gazed up into the hills. This morning, as we look at Psalm 121, what we discover is that God gave his people for their journey a song to sing. For their fears, God gave them a song. 
Psalm 121 is part of what we know as the Psalm of Ascents. They're all songs that God's people would sing as they would make their way from their homes up into the hills to Jerusalem. They were songs that they would sing in the midst of their insecurity, songs that they would sing in the midst of their vulnerability. If you think about it, when you and I come face to face with something that makes us feel vulnerable, that makes us feel fragile, when fear begins to grip our hearts and worry grips our hearts, the first inclination we have is to get quiet. The thing that God called his people to do in the midst of their own worry, in the midst of their own fear, wasn't to get quiet. It was to lift up their voices. As one writer said, God's people would cry out with hope into the uncertainty, drowning their fears with verse and chorus. God's people would sing together against danger. Redemption Hill, Psalm 121, is a song for us to sing against the danger. It's not a song that's going to magically stop all the threats around us on the outside. Christianity never promises that on this side of heaven, the circumstances of our lives will always get better. This song, by the grace of God, is a means that he has established to bring stability and assurance on the inside, in our hearts. So this morning, let's read Psalm 121 together and then spend our time exploring the hope and the comfort and the stability and the assurance that God intends for it to bring. So if you got your Bible, Psalm 121, let's read it together. The psalmist says, I lift up my hill, my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, we ask in these moments that we have together this morning that you would do the miracle that only you can do by your Holy Spirit and you would bring a stability and an assurance and a peace and a joy to our hearts as we see you, Lord, creator, redeemer, as our helper and keeper. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read the psalm, we, we don't know exactly what was going on in the mind of the psalmist when he wrote this down, but as he wrote this down, he was considering those trips that they would take to Jerusalem. And as they would get closer to Jerusalem, they would walk into a, a range of hills that would increase in altitude the closer they got to the city. And here's the thing. Those hills were full of danger. All along the way, they didn't know what was around the next corner. Were there going to be wild animals right there ready to greet them? Were there going to be thieves hiding in the caves? At night, they would have to lay down on the side of the road. And as they rested their head down on the ground and the peaks of the hills rose over them, the darkness settled in. Whatever he had in his mind made him feel small, made him feel vulnerable, made him feel very fragile. Disaster, sickness, death, those were the very real anxieties the psalmist was facing. You see, the Bible's not out of touch with our very real human sense of vulnerability. 
The Bible knows and it speaks to the fact that in this life we're going to face realities that are going to inflame our sense of anxiety and our sense of fear. But what's most important is not whether or not we feel vulnerable and feel fragile and feel insecure. What's most important is what we do in response to it. We're tempted in those moments to trust in things that can never promise the security our heart desperately craves. You see, up in those hills where all the dangers threatened, up in those hills and the high places were also where the nations would build the altars to their God. The altars to Baal were up there high in the hills. And as God's people would lay their head down and be enveloped by the darkness and feel the fear and worry of what was to come around the corner, they would see those altars and the temptation would come. Maybe Baal, maybe Baal is the one that can protect me. Maybe Baal is the one that can keep my heart safe. What's most important is, is not whether those feelings arise, but what we do in response. To what or to whom do you look to? The psalmist writes, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? All that he could see around him. If he had television, all he could see on CNN and, and Fox News was that he was in trouble. Here's a hope. Here's a promise. But the psalmist didn't trust in what he could see. Verse 2 says, My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. As the fear of what he may experience, the fear of what he may suffer began to envelop him like a blanket. This traveler looked beyond the hills around him to the God above it all. To the one who knew every hill. The one who made every peak. The one who carved out every valley. The one who dug out every cave. The one who governs and rules over them all. And I want you to understand, while it's fully true, this song is no just trust God song. It's not a just trust God with your life song like you'd hear on the radio. While that's true, saying just trust God can sometimes feel very trite. You see, if our hearts aren't rooted in the why, if our hearts don't grasp why God is worthy of our trust when we feel so fragile and vulnerable, saying just trust God, it, it sometimes can ring hollow. What I want you to understand as we begin to look more at this song is that the song of God's people in Psalm 121 is not a song about your worries. It's not a song about what's making you feel insecure and fragile. It's not a song about the coronavirus or cancer. It's a song that's about God. He is what we need to see more clearly by his grace in these times. Our view of the hills, all the things that threaten us, all the imagined things we think could happen to us, all of the dangers that are out there making us feel fragile and insecure and vulnerable, we can see those things so clearly. It's our vision of God that begins to dull in times like this. What we need to see is Him. Psalm 121 is a song that's meant to anchor your soul in times of trouble as you begin to see first that your help comes from the Lord. What's key in that whole phrase is right there at the end, the last two words, the Lord. 
That is God's personal name. Back in Exodus chapter 3, when God made a promise to Moses and told Moses to go and to speak to God's people and to speak to Pharaoh and to tell them that God was going to release them to the land that he had promised them, Moses said, well, who should I tell them is sending me? Who's going to do all this? And God said, tell them that I am. I will be what I will be. And what is it that God promised him? He promised him that I will be with you wherever you go. Your help that comes from the Lord, the Lord is not a title, it's his name. It's the name of the God who promised himself to his people and delivered them out of slavery into the land that he promised them. It's the name of your Redeemer. In fact, the Lord, the name of God, it's shorthand for all of the promises that God has made to his people at the heart of his covenant. The psalmist is saying, my help comes from the one who is always with me and never forsakes me. My redeemer, he says, is the one who also made heaven and earth. My help comes from the one who put the stars in their place with a word. Who with a word, all that wasn't came into being. With a word, he filled the land and stretched the heavens out like a tent. With a word, he built the mountains and leveled the deserts. My help comes from the Lord, the creator, the one who made all things. No crisis, no circumstance can overwhelm him. He's never surprised. He's never shaken. He made all things. He sustains all things and he rules all things. No hill is too high for him. No night too dark for him. Friends, the psalmist is singing a theology for the soul. It's a song that's meant to extinguish the flames of insecurity in your heart. The sovereign creator of heaven and earth. The creator of all of its grandeur and all of its complexity. From the planets to the microbes. He is your redeemer who conquered your enemies and set you free, who's promised to be with you, who will never leave you or forsake you. He is your help. Seeing this begins to shrink the mountains to their proper size. Jude 24 said, Surely the God who made the mountains is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You see, when the threats of the hills began to close in on this traveler's heart, what he did was begin to encourage himself in the Lord. As he climbed the mountains, he sang his song. As he sang his song, he was confessing the truths of his heart. God and God alone is the source of my help. And here's the thing, friends. There are going to be times in this life when you and I are going to have to encourage ourselves in the Lord because there's not going to be anyone else around to do it. There's a time in David's life when he and his band of warriors have gone off to battle in Ziklag and they've been victorious and they come back home and people had come in while they were gone, taken their families and burned their homes. And when they got back, all of David's men, they turned on him and wanted to stone him and they left him. And it was in that moment, the writer says, that David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Sometimes there's not going to be anyone else around to do it for us. And you and I are going to have to be able to sing this song to our hearts. 
But here's the beauty of Psalm 121. Starting in verse 3, the song moves from first person to second person. You see, this traveler is not traveling on this journey alone. This song is meant by God to be a song of community. It's a call and response. God's people would sing verses to each other and sing responses back to each other. This was a song of God's people encouraging each other in the Lord. This was a song of God's people singing and speaking the truth of who God is into each other's hearts. Friends, in an age of social isolation, I want you to know we're not really alone. You and I are a gift of grace to one another. We get the opportunity, even through means of technology now, to continue to speak the truths of God to each other, that our souls might be anchored and might be steadied. Listen to what the community sings to each other. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, the Lord who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What is it about the Almighty Redeemer's help that is so stabilizing to the soul? Well, six times in these verses, the psalmist tells us exactly what it is. The Lord our mighty is our keeper. If, if ever there was a truth to savor in your heart, when you begin to feel vulnerable and fragile and insecure, it's this. The Lord, God Almighty, the creator and redeemer, he is your keeper. Did you hear it in the verses of the song? No one is more near to you than the Almighty One who keeps you. Nothing and no one can come between you and your God. Nothing can keep God from keeping you. That's why the Bible will go on to say that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's because God never tires of keeping you. He never gets distracted from it. Friends, God's watch over you is constant. I love how the psalmist mentions a couple of times in verses 3 and 4 here that our God, our keeper, the Lord creator and redeemer, he never sleeps, he never slumbers. And that's a specific jab at the gods of the Canaanites. It's a specific jab at, at Baal. The psalmist throws that in there because the nations have gods that promise security in the midst of their vulnerability. But the truth is their gods are not really gods. They can't deliver what they promise. You might remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah and the prophets of Baal kind of go to battle on who the true God is. And in 1 Kings 18 says this, the prophets of Baal, they took a bull that was given to them and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Verse 27 says, at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry it aloud, for he's a God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. The writer puts a little jab in here to the gods of the nations that truly are no gods, those gods in the high places that threaten to draw the hearts of God's people away from confidence in God, who is their helper. 
This song is a reminder to the soul that there is only one true keeper of our heart. And he doesn't need to take a break. He never goes off duty. He keeps you around the clock. He's tireless for you. Don't miss that when you read the song. The keeper of your soul is not keeping you in abstract. He's not keeping an abstract idea of people. His keeping is personal. You see, in verse 4, it goes from the one who keeps Israel, God's people, to the one who keeps you. This is what the community would sing to each other. He's the one who keeps us. He's the one who keeps you. It's so easy for you and I to think about the nature and the character and the work of God, his keeping, his helping of his people, and to think about it in the abstract. Like there's this group of people that he does this for, missing all along that for his children, he does it for you. It's so easy to depersonalize this. But the creator, redeemer, almighty, the source of your help, the keeper of your soul, He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. The keeping that we're singing of here is a personal keeping. And he keeps you, not out of dutiful obligation, but out of his love for you. He doesn't delegate the work. He doesn't delegate his keeping of you to someone else. The community sings to one another to stabilize their hearts that his keeping of you is near and personal. He's your shade on your right hand. Shade is often spoken of in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, speaking of God's protective presence. It's often said that he will overshadow us with his protection. That's what shade looks like. And this protection, this overshadowing, it's as near as your right hand. It's right there with you. It's not off in a distance. It doesn't have to be summoned over. No, his keeping of you is personal. It's near. It's right there with you. So the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. One of the great worries on the trip up the hills to the temple was sunstroke. If the heat got too hot and the resources weren't there with the people, they could get very sick from the sun. And not only that, there was this concern that something in the moon, and it's called being moonstruck, but something in the moon could cause some people to go into a a delirium of sorts. It was an imagined fear that might happen when the moon began to rise in the darkness. And what the song is singing and what the people are singing to each other is that our keeper, your keeper, the creator, redeemer, God, he is as near and as comprehensive to you as you could ever imagine. All the dangers by day and all the dangers by night, the ones you can see, the ones you can't see. Friends, as you look around and what's known and at the same time what's unknown begin to inflame the imagination of your heart and your fears and your anxieties and you begin to grow in this sense of vulnerability, I want you to hear their song. God Almighty, Creator and Redeemer is your keeper. And his keeping of you is constant. He won't take a break. He won't look away. He's as close as your right hand. 
You don't have to summon him in. You don't have to wait for him to get here. And his keeping of you is comprehensive. What are the threats in the hills to him? Friends, the Lord will keep you from all evil, the song says. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We can't misunderstand the song at this point, though. It's not that we won't have problems in this life. Rather, God will keep you as he leads you through them. Our keeper is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the one who leads us through the valleys of the shadow of death to greener pastures and still water. He is the one who leads us through these seasons and times. And the beautiful thing is, he's never lost one of his sheep. Eugene Peterson says it so very well. In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Peterson says, the Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with the Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, isolate the same number of feet. I added that one in there are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk and each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life so that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us, meaning this, nothing will separate us from God's purposes in us. The Lord has kept you. He is keeping you. He will continue to keep you. And he's not changing. These are the truths that God's people would sing to one another as they laid their heads down at night in the presence of danger on their way to Jerusalem. So that today, as you and I look up at the hills around us, and we look and we can see everything around, the known and the imagined, when we begin to feel fragile, when we begin to feel vulnerable, when we begin to feel insecure and worried, when our imagination runs wild with all the possible outcomes and we wonder where will help come from and is there any help at all? You and I don't have to turn our gaze inwards to try to find help. You and I don't have to look deeper into ourselves to find the security and to find the strength in the midst of such dark times. No, the psalmist and the gospel both say that you and I are to keep looking up that there is indeed a holy hill that the eyes of our heart can gaze upon the hill called calvary redemption's hill you see just outside of jerusalem right in the in the midst of the hills the psalmist is writing of here in 121 jesus would have seen this hill every time he made the trip to the city 
Maybe even he was with his disciples and with his family when he was a child, getting under the shadow of this hill, singing a song like Psalm 121. But a day would come when he would stand at the bottom of this particular hill outside of the city with a wooden crossbeam on his back, and he would begin to make his final journey up that hill. One writer said that our despair over life in this fallen world would truly be the end of all of our stories were it not for a cross that stood on one particular hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Because of that hill, despair and fear don't get the last word. You see, when you and I can look up and fix the gaze of our hearts on that hill, it's not fear and worry that we're overcome with. You see, it's on that hill that the Son of God faced the greatest obstacle that humanity has ever faced, the just wrath of God for our sin. It was on that hill that Jesus was crucified for our sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It's on that hill that you and I can most clearly see for sure that our help comes from the Lord. It's on that hill, as the eyes of our heart fix its gaze upon it, that we can see the links to which God will go to truly keep us. And it's his keeping of us that brings the peace and the security to our heart in turbulent times. It's just like that mother and that young child that weighed out into the ocean, mom holding that baby in her arms. That baby's grip gets tighter and tighter the further and further they go out into the ocean. But it's not the baby's grip that secures it. What keeps that baby safe in the turbulent waters of that ocean is the mother's grip on the child. You see, on that hill, on Calvary's hill, you and I can see what John said. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Friends, when you feel your need for being kept and you wonder how you're going to make it home, take heart. The one who lived the life that you were created to live and the one who died in your place for your sin, the death that you deserve to die, he is now at the right hand of God praying for you and he continues to pray for you. And do you know what he's praying for? He's praying for your keeping. He was praying for your keeping before he went to the cross and to the throne. John chapter 17, 11 says, Jesus was praying, this is what he was praying. I am no longer in the world, but they, my disciples are in the world and I'm coming to you. Father, keep them in your name. Friends, you can look upon that hill on Calvary's hill and you can know for certain that you have an inheritance as God's child that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading and that God is keeping it in heaven for you and you can be certain that the creator, redeemer, God almighty is keeping you for it. You see, it's in the shadow of the hill the Bible calls Calvary. It's in the shadow of the hill where Jesus died in our place for our sin. It's living in the shadow of that hill that every fear and every worry that comes out of the surrounding hills, everything that threatens us becomes a means to more deeply enjoy God's saving and keeping grace. As we see him more clearly, 
and our souls are reminded that he is ours and we are his. What's in the hills to him? On Redemption's Hill, the decisive battle for your soul was won. So you no longer have to fear what's hiding in those hills. God is going to bring you safely home. You can know and enjoy and live in the keeping grace of God. John 1.12 says, To all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children whose keeper is the Lord God Almighty. Friends, as you and I travel this road that God has us on, let's sing out with hope in the uncertainty, drowning our fears of today with verse and chorus. Let's lift our eyes together to the one who made heaven and earth, who in love did not spare his own son that we might know and enjoy and live secure in his saving and keeping grace. Friends, let's enjoy his grace together as we let his word and our song bring stability and assurance to our hearts. Friends, God Almighty is your keeper. It's his joy to keep his children and to bring them safely home. This morning, may the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May his grace and peace be with you when you're going out and you're coming in now and forevermore. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning for the kindness that you have shown us in your saving and your keeping of our hearts. We ask this morning that you would do the miracle that only you can do by your Holy Spirit and you would bring us stability and assurance and a joy to our soul in the midst of turbulent times that, that threaten to want to make us feel so fragile, so vulnerable, so scared. Lord, help us to know not with our minds alone, but in our hearts, in the depth of our being, that you, Lord, creator, redeemer, you are our keeper. You hold us, you keep us, and you'll keep us until we come to see you face to face. Lord, we ask that you would do this work in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at redemptionhill.com.